Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill, and joining me here in our Durham studio for the first time is Joe Healy. Yeah, nice to be here. We can actually see each other. That's a new thing. That's a, that's a big positive. I've been a North Carolinian for, for about a week now and, and uh, pretty excited about it. First time, long time, I guess they would say, in the world of, of sports radio. Um, but I, I think this is a, a, going to be a real positive for the podcast. Looking forward to being able to actually kind of have these face-to-face conversations. We can play off each other a little more. We can have a little more dynamic conversation. So I think just from a podcast production standpoint for you, the listener, I think this is nothing but positive. Yeah, I think you, the listener, are going to notice it most notably because I will be in, able to interrupt Joe more, and I probably will take advantage of that. But which is, which is fine. Like that's yeah. part that's part of the deal. Like, I mean, <laughs> and let's be honest. Like, there have been innumerable conversations we've had on this podcast in the last year where I've actually probably just wished someone would cut me off because I'm <laughs> struggling to make a point. I'm kind of rambling on, but feel like I need to finish my uh, the, the point I'm making. So it, it really, I think, could probably only help me. So we will, we will see where that goes. We're excited about this. Uh, hopefully it creates the kind of positive product we're looking for. Obviously, Joe did not make this move just for the purpose of the podcast, however, uh, but we will happily reap the benefits here on this medium. But today, more than Joe's debut in the Baseball America studio, which we don't have a name for, I'm open to sponsorship on idea. that. I mean, I, I don't really necessarily have the authority to make such a decision, but... Joe is, he has his Whataburger mug here, um, mm-hmm. so open to that. But that's not to say, important important point to make here, just because I have a Whataburger Yeti tumbler here does not mean I would not be open to, you know, the podcast studio sponsorship relationship with, say, Cookout or Bojangles. Like, I'm not closing any doors. Okay, that, that is important to note, so I fully endorse Cookout as well, which for those of you that don't live in the Carolinas is delicious. We, though, are here to talk with two coaches who are restarting programs this year. We have Boise State coming back in after 40 years under coach Gary Van Tall, and Akron also restarting in 2020 after a break of like six years, I think it was, uh, under coach Chris Sabo. And so those are two coaches facing some unique challenges in that they have, they had to recruit a, a full 35-man roster. They had to, you know, sell their vision to to players who haven't, you know, seen. They're they're starting from scratch. There's there's nothing to, to compare it to. They had to hire coaches. They had to do all these things for the first time. Um, and, and so it's an interesting place for both of them to be to be working from. And so we're excited to hear about uh, how they went about that what challenges they've faced, and where they see their programs uh, going in the future. And, I mean, they're, they're two similar programs in that respect, but they're also two kind of different programs because Boise State, as a part of the Mountain West, uh, is a, working with a bit bigger platform, I guess, you know, because of what the football team has been able to accomplish. It's a much more widely known brand. Akron, uh, its history before the program got cut was not going great. And so now you're working, they're trying to reverse all of that while restarting a program. So kind of two different places for these programs, but there are a lot of similarities in that they're both somewhat um, you know, urban campuses. They both have minor league baseball in their towns. Uh, they're baseball kinds of places. They're places where people wanted the programs to come back, and now they are. 
So it, it creates interesting dynamics, and, and we're going to dive into that uh, with both Gary Van Tal and Chris Sabo here in a second. Before we get to them, though, I want to just remind you that as we move into the holiday season, you can check out store.baseballamerica.com for some maybe some present ideas, you know, maybe some stocking stuffers. Maybe some of these books are too big to put in a stocking, though, and you have to wrap them up and put them under the tree by themselves. I think most of the time you could... If you like lay the stocking down and like set the book on the, you can kind of that jiggle was it. Definitely like the play when I was little, my like parents a, did that. Yeah, like so it sticks out the top, and you can kind of jiggle it down in there like a pillowcase, <laughs> you know, or you got to kind of work it into the stocking. Like I think you, if when there's a will, there's a way. I don't know if the hand the handbook might be too big for that. Maybe, but the yeah. handbook won't be. It will not be there for stocking stuffer season. Uh, but you can pre-order it. Our present to ourselves is to finish the handbook before Christmas. So we're working diligently to do that. But you can order it. You can pre-order it at store.baseballamerica.com. You can also place your order for Head of the Class, which you have heard me talk about maybe at ad nauseum uh, this fall. But it is our new college baseball book, looking back at the last four decades of college baseball. Uh, it's a great book. All the all the best teams, best players best programs from the last four decades all wrapped up into one neat little package. We also have another edition of Before They Were Stars, uh, which again looks back at old scouting reports for you know some of the, the biggest stars in the game over the last few decades. We're talking about guys like Andrew Jones and Francisco Lindor and uh, you know just some all of these incredible players. What we were writing about them before they were big leaguers in their draft scouting report or one of the, the reports uh, from the handbook or the top 100. So make sure to check those out at store.baseballamerica.com. Joe, I know you recently have gone to see Head of the Class for the first time and you were you were having fun diving into it, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I assumed that I would. I know we've had a little this kind of conversation on the podcast before about how excited I was just to kind of get my hands on it. And I've had a chance to do that this week, just a few minutes here and there, and I really enjoyed it. I went back and looked at, for example, and this is the kind of tidbit that, that I'm interested in, and I think you as someone listening to a college baseball podcast you know, in December I think would be interested in. I went back and looked at the 2005 season. It's one of the first seasons I remember really like following college baseball day in and day out and um, looking at you know the kind of the first team All-Americans and the second team All-Americans and it was kind of amazing to look at, you know, all the first teamers were deserving. No, there was nobody there that really stood out as, as not being deserving. But then you looked at the second team and it was, you know, a, just a ton of major league stars. The, the combined war, if you were to look at their baseball reference war, is probably four times as high on the second team. Now, Max Scherzer kind of ruins that curve a little bit because he was on the second team that year. Uh, but it's just kind of amazing the, the difference there. And it's one of the things I love about college baseball. All of those guys on that first team were deserving. People had fantastic college seasons and careers but maybe just weren't uh, you know able to make it happen in pro ball and it's one of the things that I love about college baseball is that we can have these kind of these legendary players and teams that maybe don't necessarily resonate beyond that so you know I give head of the class my highest recommendation I think you'll really enjoy it I know I've enjoyed it I think the only question left to answer Teddy is where they could possibly get their hands on an autographed copy of head of the class now that's an interesting question that I don't have a great answer to, but if you are so interested in, in my autograph or perhaps Matt Eddy's autograph, our editor who really spearheaded the project, brought it all together for us, 
I don't know, drop me a DM on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Email me, teddy.cahill at baseballamerica.com. We'll, we'll figure something out. But the most important thing is to place your order for it, whether it has my autograph on it or not. So you can do that at store.baseballamerica.com. Now, we want to get to these interviews with Boise State coach Gary Vantall and Akron coach Chris Sabo. Again, two coaches facing similar challenges as they restart programs that have been dormant. Uh, we're going to start here with Boise State coach Gary Vantall. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are excited to welcome in new Boise State coach Gary Vantall. Gary, this is uh, this is a brand new era of, of Boise State baseball. Just how excited are you that that we're uh, that, that we're closing in on opening day for the restarting of, of the Broncos program? Well, it's hard to put it in uh, in words, really. Um, once in a lifetime opportunity, and you know, feel very blessed and, and honored to uh, to have this opportunity and, and challenge to uh, bring back baseball to Boise State. It's been 40 years uh, since baseball was played on campus, and uh, we're 78 days away, and it's uh, it's going to be historic. And people are fired up, and Bronco Nation. Uh, has been very patient and waiting a long time, and uh, we're, we're ready to roll. I guess ready or not, we, we better be ready in 78 days. <laughs> you, uh, you got hired for this job in November 2017. Uh, this fall, you were finally able to get a full team on the field, play some games for the first time. Just what did that feel like, and, and what, did you, what were you able to learn from that? Uh, patience. Um, it's been... Uh, it's been a long stretch and, you know, coming out of the pro game where you're on the field every day and, and playing to uh, not playing in two years, basically it's, it's, uh, it's been two years now that I've been on the job trying to put together this thing and, and just take it one step at a time, but, but really just having patience. There's so much that, you know, you, you want to get done. Um, it, it can very easily get out of control and so we're just trying to really keep things simple build a strong foundation and you know that starts with putting together a staff and a roster like you mentioned um and putting together a schedule and you know just having a a blueprint i guess and a plan that hopefully you'll be able to execute um but you know patience is probably the biggest word that i remind myself and and everybody that is associated with our program right now. And I think, you know, the administration and the university and the community uh, knows the task at hand and um, knows it's going to take some time. But the uh, the benchmarks have been set, I guess, or the bar has been set at Boise State. The culture has already been established here. The success of all the programs at Boise State, um, you know, I know what I signed up for and, and uh, obviously – People have high expectations um, with all the championships that we've been able to win here at Boise State, and, and we hope to add one more banner to that mix uh, sooner than later. I'm curious what attracted you most to to this particular project. I mean, this is, um, you know, as you as you alluded to, I mean, quite the undertaking, literally building a program from the ground up. What what drew you to it most? Well, I think that was it right there. You know, uh, working in. Uh, 
in pro ball with the with the Chicago Cubs for 10 years, um, 17 years in the college game. Prior to that, I never really thought I was going to go back to the college game. Um, Cubs organization, unbelievable. The people there, obviously being a part of a World Series championship team uh, in 2016, 108 years was pretty special. And so I was just focused on that piece and this chapter in my life. And um, but as you guys know, you never know when opportunity is going to come up and what's going to come around the corner in this in this business. And uh, the chance to start a program from scratch, I think, was, uh, yeah, the, the biggest piece in making that. I guess, decision at the end of the day, because uh, you can go through your entire lifetime and never really be in position to have an opportunity like this presented to yourself. So that challenge uh, was big. And also uh, Boise, you know, is our home. Uh, This is where I live during the off season. So having ties in the community, um, you know, Boise is one of the fastest growing cities in the country, but still, uh, still a lot of small town values, um, and doing some things in the baseball community when I was with the Chicago Cubs to help, uh, young kids develop and learn the game, um, being able to do it in what we're calling, you know, our hometown where my wife and I, Chrissy are raising our family. Um, that doesn't happen very often either. So, uh, it just it was it was a, a great match, a great fit, timings, everything, and and again, I know there was a lot of interest and a lot of quality baseball people uh, that were interested in this job, and and to be selected at the end of the day, it's it's quite an honor. I'm curious with the, with a job this big, um, where does one even begin? So I'm curious when you when you <laughs> when you get named head coach and you you know that you have this project in front of you, what was job one? Where do you even start and what did that kind of look like for you well the first thing was uh trying to respond to everybody that reached out to me to say congratulations and all those people that you know you look back in in your life that uh, changed the course of your your whole direction and and um with different opportunities and just you know thanking a lot of people really um but you know having experience the college level prior to going into the pro game um i I knew kind of what was in front of me uh, even though this is my 31st year and i've never experienced anything quite like this um the first calls i made after thanking people uh were schools to try and put a schedule together uh we were pretty isolated uh, our closest Division One opponents, um, it's a six-hour bus ride to Washington State to the north, uh, University of Utah to the south, our closest conference opponent, Nevada, Reno, uh, you know, a couple hours longer in that bus. And so trying to put together a schedule was the biggest challenge I had initially, and, and I called everybody in the country to see who would be interested and not only playing us because we don't have an RPI and uh, some, some bigger schools were hesitant for obvious reasons, which I understand. Um, But finding some schools that we could set up home and home uh, contracts with was was really important. A lot of people said, Hey, yeah, we'd love to have you and we can help you, you know, with some finances and, you know, but at the end of the day, people in this community have been waiting 40 years 
and I wanted to try and get as many home games as I could, even though we didn't have a facility either. I mean, we, we had nothing. And so at the end of the day, we ended up, I think, putting together a great schedule that uh, people are fired up about, you know, 26 home games, uh, 30 road games. And uh, that that was probably the the first uh, task on, on my list to, to try and put together. The, uh, the coaching staff you've put together is, is pretty impressive as well. Uh, you know, Travis Buck, of course, is a former big leaguer, and Brock Hunsiger, uh, well-respected and, and had a nice pro career of his own. Just how much support from the administration uh, did you have to, to land uh, names like that? And, and then you know, were you surprised at all by the, the level of interest in, in those jobs? Well, I had a ton of interest, and it was uh, very humbling to, you know, get those calls and recommendations from uh, some great baseball people across the country, and uh, I had a number of great options to choose from, and, um, you know, but we did uh, have our challenges in regards to salaries and, and just what we were starting out with, and so uh, it, it took a while, and I was solo uh, up until, you know, July, um, before I was able to make that first hire. So again, just having patience and, uh, going through all the resumes, all the phone calls. Uh, I knew one thing though, that I wanted to try and do was put together a, a young staff, um, that were quality people and had a solid baseball background, but different roads traveled. Um, you mentioned Travis Buck, you know, he was a high school draft pick out of the Tri-Cities area, Richland, Washington, went to Arizona State and turned himself into a first rounder and signed after his junior year. And then you've got Brock, who had committed to the University of Indiana out of high school, uh, of course, grew up in Indiana and ended up getting drafted in the third round by the Red Sox and, and uh, decided to sign, you know, out of high school. And then even our uh, bullpen coach, uh, Mikkel von Kampen, who actually played for me back in the day, uh, grew up in the Netherlands and, you know, pitched in two World ba Baseball Classics as a reliever for the Netherlands and the Beijing Olympics. And um, having guys like that that had a pro background, um, spending 10 years in the pro game, I learned uh, another master's degree, really, and, to have another chance to come back to the college game, I'm looking at it as almost a, a do-over, which most guys don't have that opportunity. And so there's some things that, you know, I look back at my young career as a college coach that I did because that's just the way it was done. And, and uh, you know, I thought it was the right way to do it. But um, especially being the Cubs organization with, with Theo Epstein coming in and and his plan and, and how he put together uh, a World Series championship team uh, was, I learned a lot, you know, and from Joe Madden and listening to his uh, experience and, and knowledge. I mean, there are just so many people um, that that staff was critical. Uh, and I, I, I feel pretty fortunate with the guys that we have on board because, you know, at the end of the day, I asked our players that we have on campus were capped at 32. That's as big as our roster uh, right now we'll, we'll get, and that's an institutional cap. Um, but I asked all of them, I said, who here has the dream of playing in the big leagues? And they all raised their hand. And so I took a selfie to make sure that I could hold them accountable when we start to get, get after it here. But um, 
having guys on on staff that have experienced that well, with different journeys that they took and how difficult that that is. Um, you know, my goal is playing the big leagues never happened, but that goal kept me on path, kept me working hard and other opportunities presented themselves and, and, uh, been very blessed uh, to still be in the game. But, um, you know, the, the staff that I've been able to assemble here, uh, they're, they're great and they're only going to get better. And not only, you know, are we here to develop young men to become professionals in whatever career track they end up uh, landing in, you know, uh, the coaches that I have on board too, I want to try and develop and help move them on to bigger and better things too, if they choose to do so. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, so far it worked out very well. You had kind of a unique situation where you, you were bringing players on for a, a, a season, if you will, where you weren't actually going to be playing any games that, that initial class, were you, maybe surprised in any way or taken aback by how much interest there was in, in this group of players that wanted to be the first, even though they weren't necessarily going to be able to take the field as Boise State in that first season? And then how important was that class for, for laying a foundation moving forward? Well, looking back, it's critical. Um, and, you know, that first month on the job when I was trying to put that blueprint together, um, yeah, there was no one that was going to come on campus a year early. And, uh, you know, again, having patience and going through the first six months, um, it was obvious there there was plenty of interest. And, you know, I was looking to try and oh, balance the roster with some JC transfers and, and some incoming freshmen. And those were going to be our two biggest classes. And then, you know, as, as things moved forward, we, we ended up having 12 guys on campus last year that sacrificed a full year of their life just to train and get acclimated and uh, lay the foundation to where we're at right now. And, and looking back, it was probably the best thing that we did, even though no one was ready for any baseball players to come on campus last year. But, you know, when I went to uh, our administration and we got the okay from the NCAA um, and the support, uh, you know, no one was on scholarship. These 12 guys came to Boise State because they wanted to be a part of this and you know we had some division one transfers that had it sit out a year so the timing was very good for them and then we had some incoming freshmen that were just maybe overlooked or had some walk-on opportunities at some other schools that you know committed with some JC programs and um, so with those 12 guys the dirty dozen we call them uh, will be, you know, a, a group that we'll look back on in 10 years that will have really um, laid the foundation. And it has put us ahead of schedule, you know, now that we have our full roster on campus and, you know, we're, we're 78 days away from opening day, having these 12 guys that have uh, had a chance to spend some time with myself and the staff and uh, just kind of, you know, like I say, get, get, get their hands dirty and roll their sleeves up and start to build this culture. These guys are all builders and, and they knew that coming in and they're, they're here for the opportunity, uh, not for the full ride scholarship or the guaranteed playing time. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see how these guys are going to take off and, and just the impact they've made with uh, the 20 new players, 20 new faces that we have on campus uh, this year. 
Restarting a program is pretty rare in college baseball. Akron is doing the same thing this year, and Oregon did it uh, about 10 years ago. Have you talked to anyone involved in either of those projects to you know, gauge some, some of the, the steps required to, to making this a success? Probably the two programs that I've talked to the most uh, has been Seattle U uh, with Donnie Harrell, and uh, ironically, uh, I canceled my interview at Seattle U. It was uh, Donnie and, and myself and, and a third that they were flying in to interview to start that program up, and that's when I got the opportunity to, to join the Cubs. And um, But Donnie and I are close friends, and uh, you know we, we don't talk enough because we've got – uh, a lot going on, but um, he definitely gave me some insight, and uh, he can look back now over the course of time and uh, can share with share with me some things that if he could do it all over again, he would look to do this. And then, of course, the Oregon situation, um, I had an opportunity to join George's uh, staff, Coach Horton's, um, once he got that going and actually brought me in to, to run a couple indoor camps because, you know, he had never done an indoor camp before, uh, when he got to Oregon and, and, uh, you know, being in Southern Cal and Orange County at Fullerton. Um, so, and then the Cubs affiliation, I managed the team in Eugene, which of course we shared Oregon's facility and, uh, just, you know, interesting, uh, side note there. And so the Oregon program, uh, and the guys that have come out of there and some of the former coaches that I've, uh, been associated with, they gave me a lot of a good information as well. And of course, you know, the PAC 12 and Seattle U situation, I think we're kind of in the middle. Uh, when you look at where we're at with this, uh, rebuild, if you want to call it. And, um, yeah, I've, I've tried to lean on as many people as I can to get as much insight. And, you know, 10 years out of the college game, uh, I had to brush off some cobwebs in the NCAA manual and and uh, really make some adjustments coming back into the college game that I knew I was going to need to do and give up some of those coaching responsibilities because I'm basically the front office, the scouting department um, and everything else and, and having a staff that can just take care of our players and make sure that uh, they're there every day for them. It has been huge, but um, a lot of people have made an impact already and the support that we have from our administration, um, our support staff has been unbelievable. And again, everybody's looking at this as a, uh, a new journey every day that it's uncharted waters because there's not too many people on campus that have had any experience, um, you know, putting on a baseball game uh, on campus or, or even being a part of anything like that um, besides, you know, football and basketball and the other Olympic sports. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but how long the local community has been waiting for, for Boise State to field a baseball team again. What has that local support been like? And are there anecdotes of, you know, you kind of having interactions with, you know, alums or, or just or local residents about the excitement for your program coming back? Well, it's been awesome. And, and just to hear from people, um, especially former players, you know, there's a 40 year gap. And so uh, the number of players that, that played at Boise State, you know, and it wasn't that long ago when Boise State was a junior college uh, has, has been really, really special and having a chance to meet some of these guys and some of them had uh, professional careers and they're still in the community and um, 
you know, Craig Lawson, our sports information director has, has played such a huge part in making sure that we have a bridge connected between our past and our future, because all the kids that I'm recruiting, um, you know, they, they just want to know if we're going to have a blue baseball field. They have no idea that, you know, baseball was once played on campus. And so we want to make sure that, that all of our current players and, and future players know that there was a history here and we want that history to uh, be evident. And we want the former players to know that they're, uh, they're going to be remembered and, and recognized. And Craig has put countless of hours and all of his uh, help and in sports information, student, you know, assistance, uh, sleeping in the library, pulling out archives. I mean, Craig's put together updated records uh, that our guys are going to try and beat. And he's put the countdown together, which ties in, you know, a piece of history of Boise State baseball or baseball in the state of Idaho. And, um, you know, one thing, building a roster that I'm really proud of, you know, out of the 32 guys that we have, nine of those players have graduated from an Idaho high school. And I think that's important. Um, I could have very easily gone to Orange County and, and brought in 32 players, but uh, I think it was critical, you know, for the first time that an Idaho uh, student and baseball player has a chance now to play division one baseball at home in his state. Um, that's, that's created new energy and new excitement, excitement just for, for players in the state of Idaho. But people also know the state of Idaho is very small and on a good year, you might have five players in the whole state that have a chance to go play division one baseball. And two of those players want to go and spread their own wings and leave home and get out on their own and experience something different. But at least now they have that opportunity and um, it's, it's been, it's been really neat. And especially with my ties with the community and, uh, development and youth baseball, um, some of these guys that are on our roster right now came out of our, you know, local sports club, our Idaho Cubs program that I started, you know, when I was with the Chicago Cubs. So, uh, that, that's been a, a, a very rewarding process. And, and again, everywhere I go, people want to stop and, and get an update and talk about Boise State baseball, and they, they can't wait to come and watch a game. And so I think we have a real special opportunity to, to build something pretty unique, especially on the West Coast and our fan base. Um, you know, being that football kind of mentality, now, now people can tailgate for a three-game series instead of a single game on a Saturday night at 8.15, and and uh, they're not afraid to bundle up in cold weather and, and come out and, and wear the blue and orange and uh, support the Broncos. So you mentioned it briefly there that recruits are asking you about the blue turf. Uh, I think that's a lot of people's association with, with Boise State is, is the blue turf. Is that something down the road that, that you're thinking about? Or what, what's your answer to the, those recruits that want to know if you're playing on blue turf? Well, I ask him, of course, uh, are they interested in, in playing on blue turf? And uh, it's, it's almost 100% the answer is yes. And I said, well, if I'm a betting man, um, I like your chances that you're going to play on a blue field. And so those are the plans. Um, it, it's tough for me to wrap my head around it. I'm a traditionalist and, you know, you play baseball on, on green grass and, and dirt, but as you guys know, uh, in the college game with as early as the season starts, 
how many college programs are going to the artificial surface now and with technology and what they can do. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, the surfaces that uh, these companies can put together. And so we're going to jump on that uh, for obvious reasons, because we can get more work in and, and help our players, uh, you know, get outside earlier and uh, develop and, and get their reps in. And then also from a scheduling standpoint, you know, it's pretty easy to get to Boise. There's a lot of direct flights uh, from all over the country. And, um, you know, the campus is close to the airport and uh, we'll have lights and, and for visiting teams to come in and make that, that trip and cost, you want to make sure you get the games in. And so we'll be able to definitely get the games in, even if the weather is uh, on the colder side, we're in a dry climate, so we don't deal with as much rain and um, as the coast or as much snow as uh, further north at Washington state or, or Gonzaga. And so we feel like uh, we like our chances. Uh, if we get a team in here, we're going to be able to play, but um Right now, looking at the designs and looking at the color of that surface, that artificial surface, uh, it's going to be blue. And the biggest decision for me right now is what color is going to match with that um, for the infield dirt and the mound and home plate. So right now, that's my that's my biggest decision. <laughs> you got a little graphic design going on now too. You add that to your <laughs> to your responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. Well, Coach, it's been great talking with you, and you know. I, Everything seems so far in the future still, but it's it's right here. So what in 2020 do you think looks what, – what does a successful season look like for the Broncos? Uh, getting through it and surviving. Um, you know, we just – we have nothing to compare really anything to. And so going through that first season and going through this first full year with a full roster – you know, we don't have anybody on our current club that has played an inning for Boise State. Um, we've got some, you know, Jordan Britton, who won a College World Series at Oregon State, is really our most experienced pitcher on the mound, 60-plus innings in the Pac-12. And um, there, there's a pretty good chance he's going to get the ball on Friday night at the University of Texas when we open up. But I think just being able to go through this first season, getting into the Mountain West Conference schedule, seeing how we match up with the San Diego States, with the Fresno States, um, you know, and everybody else. We have a very interesting conference when you look at all the, all the schools that cover a lot of territory and elevation. Um, and, you know, have we put together a roster that's, that's going to be able to compete? And, you know, I know, uh, the at-large bids and the RPI, all that stuff's important for some people. But right now for us, we just want to be able to compete and, and see if we've put together a group of guys that can go out there and compete with some of the top teams in the country that we've been able to put on our schedule. You know, being able to schedule a home-and-home -home with Creighton, uh, Coach Service was uh, was awesome, you know, and, and that was probably one of the schools we targeted right away. And we're going to be in Omaha in, in late March, and we're going to come in a day earlier so our guys can uh, have a little bit of uh, reflection and, and take a moment and, and realize, hey, this is where we want to be in June. So just even the strategy of, of putting that trip together is going to be big for our guys and just get a season under our belt. And then we'll know so much more about our guys, where we need to move going forward you saw our recruiting class in the 2020 during the early signing period we signed one guy 
and um, we're pretty excited about Jared Glenn. But again, we're just taking our time and learning more and more about our guys every day so we can make the best decisions moving forward. But I think, you know, having a schedule and um, knowing that, you know, we're going to play in 78 days, ready or not, uh, getting through this first year and, and surviving, it's going to be uh, very, very valuable for the future and making sure we continue to have patience and build a strong foundation. And, you know, yes, we want to win right now, but we want to build a, a program, you know, coming out of Gonzaga, of course, the basketball team, the football program here at Boise State, that consistency, uh, the success on a year-to-year basis and always being in the fight is uh, obviously the ultimate goal. Well, we're going to be very excited to follow along with that this spring. Just uh, an exciting time uh, for, for Boise State to, to have this new program and, and for you to, to be at the, the helm of it. And we'll see where it goes from here. So, Coach, we really want to thank you for, for joining us here today on the Baseball America College podcast. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and it's a pleasure talking to you guys and just appreciate all you guys do for, for baseball. Um, and, uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you guys again, hopefully soon. Thank you again to Boise State coach Gary Van Tall. Interesting stuff there. I think people are going to be very interested in the blue field possibility. His challenges, of course, are similar to Akron coach Chris Sabo, but also different. You know, he's working kind of a bigger platform out there at Boise. They're, they're, putting, they're very committed you know, to this experience, and, and they, have, they have a lot to offer as a Mountain West school uh, in terms of, of building things, and, and you know, they're, they're walking into a conference that can be a multi-bid league, and how is Boise going to compete against, you know, a San Diego State or a UNLV or a Nevada or a Fresno State, which, of course, has a national championship within the last 15 years. So they have, they have some unique challenges, some unique advantages because of that, Akron now is uh, is restarting after just about a six-year absence, very brief absence, but any absence, it can be a killer. And so they, they, it's a full reboot. There, there is some infrastructure remaining at Akron. There is a stadium uh, that they've been working to renovate, but there's a, there's a lot that they've had to do from scratch. And so uh, that's what Chris Sabo has had to work with there. And so now we're going to hear from the head coach of the Zips, Chris Sabo. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're happy to be joined by Akron head coach Chris Sabo. Coach, you've been there about a year now. We're, we're getting close to opening day. Just how exciting has this uh, whole process been for you to, to be restarting this program now? Well, uh, it's, been, it's been actually harder than I thought. Uh, you know, I'm not a split chicken anymore. So uh, the reason I left the IMG Academy down there in Florida to come up here and uh, restart a program just because it was it was it was an opportunity to, to do something that has never been done before to, at the D1 level where D1 program was dropped and brought back for baseball. So uh, I thought it was, it was one big uh, opportunity I had left uh, before I retired for good. And uh, but, it's, but it's been good. But it's been hard because you know, when I got here they had nothing. I mean they didn't have a baseball, didn't have a uniform. Had, uh, obviously, no players. Uh, the field was in disrepair, so it's been a, a long haul. But it, but it's been uh, it's been good. I was happy to uh, work with the uh, players that we recruited this fall, and uh, we actually just concluded our individual meetings 
to send them on their way for the holidays uh, yesterday. So I'll be looking forward to January and uh, playing some games beginning uh, uh, February 14th. I imagine it's been a particularly rewarding process for you, too. I mean, you're someone with, with so much history in the state of Ohio. Um, so not just the, the challenge of starting a program, but for you, I imagine it's a little bit personal and, and a point of pride to be doing this in Ohio and, and building up this program that is unabashedly trying to be an Ohio program and recruit kids from Ohio and, and kind of be a program the state can be proud of. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, we're not Ohio State. I mean, uh, they're the Ohio State, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but I, I'm realistic, too. I mean, with our uh, scholarship situation and uh, uh, finances and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, we try to get the local kid first, the kids around Akron. And if they're not interested, we try to get Ohio kids. But then but then if we don't get that, we, we'll, we'll go out of state. And that's what we've done. And to be and, and to be quite honest, we, you know, we've had a tremendous response from uh, out of state kids. Believe it or not, we actually got a catcher from Australia, of all things. So, uh, uh, yeah, but uh, we definitely before I'm out of here, would love to have, you know, seventy, eighty percent of the kids from uh, from Ohio. Uh, but I think that's just going to be a matter of us proving that, you know, we actually have a decent product and are, you know, and know what we're doing. The uh, the Akron program was only dormant for a few years, and my understanding is that there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of people in the president's ear uh, trying to get the program restarted, and and that is kind of what what led it to happen. Uh, have you noticed a lot of uh, community support or, or support from people associated with the university, just who are happy to have the the program back now that uh, we're so close to opening day? Oh, I mean, I, I think they're thrilled. I mean, the response has been overwhelming, especially from former uh, players and stuff like that. I mean, we, we've raised enough private uh, donations. Uh, we just completed a new baseball field, all field turf, which which you really need up here uh, with the weather. I mean, it was, uh, the old field was uh, grass and dirt, and it was in a low area. Where if it rained at all, you were done. Now we, we got a brand-new field turf. Uh, we're going to build uh, – brand new stands and, and press box. And uh, so, yeah, the, the response has been overwhelming. Uh, part of my job uh, as the head coach here is, is to go around the, uh, the city of Akron and, and talk to people and, and try to make them aware of, of what we're trying to do here, which is kind of historic. And uh, the response has been great. Obviously, we raised a lot of money in just over a year uh, to do a lot of good things. Uh, I'm not done. Uh, but, but trust me, Akron's, I'm from Detroit. I'm from a big place. Cincinnati's a bigger place. Akron's not quite as big as those two places. So uh, everywhere I go, I mean, you know, I make it known that I'm the baseball coach. And, you know, and uh, I would say the response is overwhelmingly uh, hooray that they're bringing the baseball program back. It, it, it is the oldest uh, sport uh, at the University of Akron. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, – I think it's good so far. Now, if we can actually just put a decent product out there, that, that will even help us out even more. It's obviously just a really big job, a really big project. So when you kind of got to the start of this and you, you undertook this project and look what was in front of you, what were kind of the first couple things that were important for you to do to kind of lay a foundation um, to be successful moving forward? Well, the biggest thing was getting some coaches. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm approaching 60 years old, so I'm kind of old. 
I, uh, my, my background is more pro uh, coaching, and uh, I coached down there at the IMG Academy. I was coaching the top team down there with all kinds of draft picks. And, and uh, my thing was to get some young guys. Uh, and I found two young guys, Jordan Banfield and uh, Dan McKinney, uh, that are younger guys, go-getters, and want to make their mark. They're in their 20s. They're not married. And they have, they have uh, Division One experience. So uh, I give them a lot of credit as, as far as the recruiting. You know, in pro ball, you don't recruit at all. You know, I mean, the scouts draft the players, and, you know, I just have to coach them. So they've done a good job. Uh, uh, I'm thankful we don't have to recruit 35 guys any, every year because that, that was difficult. Uh, so uh, hopefully next year, next year's class will be a little smaller, and hopefully by 22, uh, 2022, we can just recruit the normal, you know, 10, 10, 10 players a year, which, which, which would be uh, a lot easier. Well, what about this uh, group of, of players that you have now, that this first team back, uh, do you think we should know? Who are, who are some players that, that have caught your eye early on? Well, we got all kinds of guys. I mean, I, mean, uh, I give these guys credit uh, to believe in this because, I mean, there was nothing here. You know, and it, and it takes a special kid to, uh, to believe in something uh, – does it even exist? You, you're pretty much going on what I say and uh, what my vision is. Uh, but but uh, it's been great. We've been trying to uh, – I try to get it where I can get freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. It turned out we have mostly mostly freshmen and mostly juniors. It was tough to get uh, sophomores to come in after one year of junior college, and it was tough to get senior transfers. But we did have one. Uh, but we have, you know, we have, we have a, uh, like I said, we have, we have a catcher who played a, a Juco out in Kansas. His name's Cam Tilly. Uh, I think he's going to be a good player. He's got power in all parts of the field. He's a good catcher. can play first base, can DH. Uh, got another kid, another junior kid, uh, uh, shortstop from Pensacola, Florida, which is amazing. He want to come up here. And uh, he'll be our shortstop. His name's Justin Barr. Uh, He's got he's got the talent to be a all Mac player if everything goes uh, accordingly. And then we got a, a center fielder Brenton Phillips, who was a, a Gold Glove All American uh, junior college player in uh, uh, last year, and he's from Georgia. Uh, that's going to be one player. Then we got a kid, uh, Roy Thurman, out in left field, who was originally recruited by uh, University of Louisville. Things didn't really go his way, and now uh, he's going to be. Uh, uh, he's got our left fielder and he's got a chance to do some damage. Yeah. You know, those three guys, uh, four guys, I think have pro ability, you know, from from what I see. And uh hopefully it will be successful. I mean, Akron hasn't uh, finished over five hundred baseball wise since the mid nineties. So uh that that's our goal. Our goal is to try to finish over five hundred and make that Mac tournament. Six, the top six teams make the Mac tournament in Cleveland. And uh I think if we could do that it'd be a very historical thing for the kids that they will remember all their lives. Obviously, it's it's such a unique situation, kind of jump-starting a program like this. So in the first year when you've an all-new team that hasn't hadn't played together, everything, is everything to your point, is, is really kind of new, not only for this group but for the school, because it, it has been a few years. What does success look like in, in 2020, knowing that it's, it's going to kind of be a process to get uh, this program going? Well, I mean, I mean, no offense. I mean, you know, everything I've ever done my whole life, I've been successful at. I mean, I was a hockey player, I was a golfer, 
baseball player, uh, student. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm almost 60 years old and I'm used to success. So just, you know, I, I just, just my mindset. I mean, I, I didn't do this to win one baseball game next year. Now I did this to, uh, build something from nothing and then be competitive. Does that mean we're going to the college world series? No, you know, you know, that'd be great. You know, but like I said, I mean, like, a, you know, successful for me doing this from nothing, but getting to that Mac tournament. I think that's, that's the big thing, you know, being one of the top six teams to get in that tournament. I think that would be unbelievable success. And I plan on being there. I mean, I, I really believe that in my heart. You know, but I'm the same guy every year I played in the big leagues. I thought we were going to win the World Series. And we, I only won one of them. So, uh, uh, but I'm always confident. And uh, and uh, we brought guys in uh, that we thought could play. Uh, we got 35 kids that all in the same boat. I mean, they they all believed in us. And they all believed in Akron. So, that, I mean, they really get along. The young guys, old guys. And they got a special bond uh, being, uh, like I said, uh, believing in a program that was gone, which is uh, unique. This will never happen again, probably. So uh, it's kind of cool. You mentioned their uh, College World Series and how successful you've been, and, and you played in, in the College World Series with Michigan. Just what, uh, what did it mean to you as a former Michigan player to see the Wolverines back on that level this June? That was awesome. I mean, I mean, trust me. I mean, we're not going to Michigan. That, that was, that was, we thought we, you know, we, we went there all the time. Uh, I think my freshman year, we, you know, we went there and finished seventh. And my junior year, we finished third. Uh, we might have had the best team I had my sophomore year, but I got hurt and a couple other guys got hurt and, you know, we didn't get in. But uh, it was awesome. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm in a big group text with I mean, a ton of Michigan, uh, former Michigan baseball players and, uh, that that was a that was a special ride for him. Uh, uh, I wish I could have cashed it in, but it's still a great uh, uh, a great uh, testament to Backage and uh, what he's done there and getting Michigan baseball back to being relevant, which is good. And uh, you just need the football team to get get to be back to relevant so they can beat Ohio State every once in a while. But uh, uh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, Backage is great. I remember he got hired. I went out to dinner with them and talked with them. And uh, he's just uh, he's a baseball lifer. He loves it. I loves it there, and he's done a great job. Obviously, I mean, no, uh, no. So I don't know what to say. I'm, we're very proud. Put it that way. I mean, I'm, I'm still a big Michigan guy, and uh, and I'm just I was just happy for him. I, I was someone growing up who. Um who wore, like you during your playing days, wore rec specs. And so I have a kind of a question about that. I mean, that kind of became such a signature of yours, especially yeah. early in your career in Cincinnati. Did you have any idea? Because I imagine you just made the decision because they, they made it to where you could see the baseball better. Did you have any idea it would become such an iconic piece of, of, of the way people remember you? No, I really didn't. I mean, uh, you know, I, it was my second year in AAA. I was in Nashville. My first year in AAA was in Denver. And then uh, my second year was in Nashville, and uh, I, I, I was having a hard time seeing the ball at night hitting. And uh, so you know, I finally went to the eye doctor, and he said, well, I mean, yeah, you got, you got some issues, especially when the sun goes down. And I go, you're going to need some kind of uh, correction. I go, okay. So I, I tried the contacts, and now back then, the only contacts I could wear were the hard ones. And uh, they didn't work. I mean, I don't know if you know my career at all, but I was a runner. 
I, I just slide and slide head first and stuff like that. And, 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 and that, uh, those contacts just fly out and I, and I couldn't see. Then, then I tried regular glasses and, and, and they would move, you know, when I was running and stuff like that, they would move, you know, if I was trying to feel good, they, they weren't stable. So, uh, I actually walked by a lens crafters one day and I saw Reggie Jackson, some kind of ad of Reggie Jackson wearing these Rex specs. Uh, and I go, wow, I'll try those. And uh, so I went in there and got the prescription and, and I loved them because they, they would stay right on, they wouldn't move. They would stay right, you know, very tight to my face and I could, I could see with them. I could run, I could slide and they, and they were fine. So that's what I went with. Uh, I, I didn't try to make some kind of iconic statement. I was just trying to, I was just trying to see so I could, I, I, I could make the major leagues and uh, have a successful career. And, uh, yeah, which is kind of funny because now I, I can wear contacts, but, you know, I, I don't run, you know, I'm not running and sliding anymore. All I do, all I do is coach. Yeah, not, not a whole lot of running and sliding in, in terms of the coaching now. Um, no. You've, uh, you've been in Akron now, I guess, for, for about a year. What, what do you think you're uh, – the, the best thing that you've discovered about the university and, and the city has been since you've been a part of that community? Oh, Akron's great. And obviously I lived in Cincinnati for 30 years. I had never been to Akron. Uh, and I'm from Detroit. So, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Ohio and Michigan. I just took I-75 right up or, or Akron's more Northeast of Columbus. And, uh, so I never went there. I used to go to Columbus and, uh, but I'm from the inner city of Detroit, and uh, and uh, Akron reminds me a lot of Detroit. You know, Detroit gets a lot of a lot, a lot of bad press, but Detroit's a good place. Detroit's a good place. They're hardworking people. Uh, they're friendly. Uh, they say uh, yes, sir, thank you, please. And uh, I find Akron very similar to that. So uh, I fit in. I mean, it's just normal for me to fit in here because I think I'm pretty polite. And uh, so, so in that aspect, I like it. As far as the university, I'd never seen the university at all until I uh, uh, came up here on an interview, and uh, it's a it's a hell of a campus. I mean, it's 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 an inner city uh, campus, but the campus itself is beautiful. Uh, it's it's separated uh, sort of like Michigan, where there's an athletic part uh, on the I guess that's the south side of campus, and then the academic part on the north side of campus. And it's very compact and uh, I think it's great. I think it's great for students. It's it's very easy. I mean, you go from the athletic uh, complex all the way to the end of the academic complex, and it's like a 12, 13-minute walk. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. I remember walks. I didn't have a car when I was in college. I remember 20, 25-minute walks. Michigan's a big campus. You know, walking in, you know, 25-degree weather, and it wasn't very pleasant. But uh, overall, I, I think it's great. Uh and uh, we just want to put a good product out there and uh, try to make Akron relevant again, at least in baseball. Well, Coach, we're going to be very excited to see how that progresses. I especially will be watching closely. I, I as a Cleveland native and someone as a Mac alum, I'll I'll certainly be keeping a close eye on it. And uh, we'll, we're excited to see what the Zips look like in 2020 and beyond with you at the helm. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm anxious like everyone else. I mean, I think we got a good team, but. Until you actually get out there and actually see how they compete against other uh, other programs, uh, yeah. So I have a little anxiety. You know, this time next year I'll, I'll have a better feel on what we need. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today on the podcast. We're, we've been very happy to talk with you. Thank you to Akron coach Chris Sabo. Joe, interesting discussions both with, with Gary and with Chris. A lot of similarities, some differences. As we look at these two programs, you know, it's unlikely that either one of them is particularly competitive the first year out. Even Oregon, with their, all the advantages they had, only won 14 games their first year back. But as we look at what both of these universities have been able to do at opposite ends of the country, basically, I, what, what kind of stands out to you in terms of readiness and, and preparation and, and, and how they're going to develop as programs? So I think the, the one thing that, that Akron has going for it that you alluded to is there was some infrastructure there. I'm sure from an administration standpoint, there are a lot of people in the athletic department who were there when baseball was there before who kind of know how a program runs. Uh, that is all in place, and I think that helps. However, you know, I think Boise State's a program, I mean, we've not yet seen them take the field. Uh, they played some fall games. We've not seen them take the field for games that count yet. And yet there's kind of a juice in that program. And I say that just because you know, they, they do come off as incredibly committed. They, they want to do things like blue turf, for example. Um, you know, Gary Vantal alluded to it a little bit that, you know, getting players for that first year when they weren't going to be able to play games that entire first year on campus, he wasn't really sure what he would get in that first class. And they got 12 guys who were willing to come to campus and not play for an entire year and just train. I mean, that's asking a lot of a player, and they were able to find 12 guys, and, and you know, that's huge because now you've kind of, to the extent you can have veterans at a program that's been dormant for 40 years, they kind of do in a way, and I think that's huge. So, yeah, I think, again, first year, probably not going to be in a position to compete, but it would not surprise me when this first class and now this, this big class that just came in ahead of this season matriculates two or three years down the road. It would not surprise me to see Boise State be in a position to uh, you know, certainly compete within the, the confines of the Mountain West tournament and, and maybe get itself in a position to to get into a regional with that first group. Because let's face it, there are kind of advantages in recruiting uh, to being the first players to go through Boise State baseball. It would not shock me if, if we look back and we find out that they've actually gotten kind of a higher quality level of player than they might otherwise just because of the newness of this program. Because right now you are, you know, there isn't that proof of concept necessarily, but there is the shiny object of you guys are going to be the first group to take the field at Boise State in 40 years. And I think there's a draw to that. I think more of the challenge is maybe after year one, when they finish well under 500, let's just say, for example, now you've got to prove the concept in order to recruit maybe at that level again. So I think there's an opportunity to strike in a couple of years down the road with this group of guys, the challenge will be kind of building on that. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what Boise's recruiting philosophy is like going forward. Like Gary mentioned, he could have just gone to, to Southern California and found players there, and they, they tried not to do that. They wanted to have a lot of Idaho players on the roster. And like he said, though, Idaho's a smaller state, especially when we're talking about baseball. So what's it going to look like in terms of attracting players to Boise? Now, it's like he mentioned, it's a city. Uh, it's a growing city, apparently. Didn't know that one. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a place that you can get people to with relative ease. But the Pacific Northwest is becoming much more competitive in terms of recruiting. You know, we've seen the rise of Washington. Oregon, obviously, has entered the space. And now Washington State, 
uh, under Brian Green looks like they're going to be more competitive. Uh, certainly, he's going to attack the recruiting trail very, very hard. And Oregon State is still hanging out there as this behemoth program up there. So now you as Boise are trying to warm your way into this with the likes of, of a Gonzaga and Seattle and, and some of the, and Portland, these mid-major programs up there. So where are the players going to come from? That's That to me is a long-term question that I'm interested in. And I'm Akron should be set up better just in terms of a raw player standpoint, but there are so many schools in the state of Ohio already. It's tough. And again, there are only so many players. We're not talking about one of the biggest hotbeds, much as I, Cleveland native, hate to admit that. Uh, you know, There are only so many players in the high school ranks there to go around, and Akron is working at some disadvantages to programs like Kent State and Ohio State to, and Michigan. Uh, to say nothing of the, the programs like Vanderbilt and Virginia coming north to, to get players. So all of that is going to be interesting. I, all, where these players are going to come from in both cases is going to be very interesting. Akron launched with this Ohio focus, but some of that I even realized talking to the president right after they launched was just buzzwords for a press release. And hearing Chris Sabo talk now, it... Sounds like, yeah, they want Ohio kids, but it's not necessarily, like, it's not even maybe if two kids are even, I'm not, like, at that point, maybe it's, they go with the Ohio kid, but it's not going to be a limiting factor for them in any way, it doesn't sound like. Yeah, I mean, you look at the 2020 roster, and it's it doesn't strike me, now, I've not done a side-by-side comparison with the other schools at, at this level in Ohio, but it doesn't strike me as any more Ohio-heavy than you would expect any other you know, uh, Ohio program at the mid-major level. I'll so. tell you it's higher than Kent State. I don't know that it's higher than a Dayton or a Youngstown State. Yeah, so, you know, and I think that's a good point you're making with where the players come from because it really is two different situations. Would you rather have, it's an interesting thought experiment, really, would you rather have the more dense, talent-rich population of Akron or would you rather have a little more territory, I don't want to say to yourself, but let's, you know, you imagine, you know, Gary mentioned, you know, there might be five D1 kids in Idaho in a given year, but you would imagine they're going to get more of a crack at those five kids than if there's five D1 kids in Akron, right? Like, it's more likely that Boise maybe gets into the living room of one of those five kids versus Akron having five D1 kids and all of these choices in the state of Ohio to say nothing of the neighboring states. I mean, there's, there are just not a lot of D1 programs around Boise. There, you mentioned some of the Pacific Northwest, but... You know, a state like Colorado that puts out quite a bit of talent, you know, and they just have Northern Colorado and Air Force. So I think there's some. Yeah, if you had East there. at all, I mean, Wyoming, Montana, there's yeah, nothing. And if exactly. you had North, there's, there's talent to be had in British Columbia and, and out there in Canada. And, you know, there are other schools tapping into that. But there's a, there, there are areas, yes, I was looking at the Pacific Northwest, but all of those schools are West. There's not as much East. Yeah, and, and they've, it's clear from, from their 2020 roster that they're kind of already embracing that to a certain degree. They've got a couple kids, speaking of places we're from, they've got a couple of Houston kids on their roster. So it's clear early on that Van Tal is very willing to um, you know, say, we're going to recruit nationally to the extent we can and, and see where we can find talent, but knowing that the talent is just not as dense where they are. Now, we heard him say that Every recruit's first question, him being Gary Vantall, first question to him is, are we playing on blue turf? He said 
he would bet on yes, even as a traditionalist, it sounds like the blue turf is coming to Boise. I believe my public position is no to blue turf, and I believe, Joe, your public position is yes to blue turf. Explain yourself, and how happy are you that it sounds like that will be the reality? Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled with it. Is it garish? Yes. I mean, is it kind of a lot? Sure. But, you know, I've been on record. I'm consistent with my position on stuff like this. You know, if we take it out of baseball, I was an early proponent of the Oregon uniforms. Like, back, remember back in the Joey Harrington days where there was, like, a lot of hand-wringing about, like, look how ugly these uniforms are. They look yes. like highlighters running around in the field. And now everybody, I mean, college football has gotten to a point where there are more alternate uniforms and there are standard. There's some exceptions. I mean, you know, you know well Ohio State doesn't really play much. Actually, no, they, they do. Uh, but a Penn State and Alabama, fair. they okay, do not. Fair. Ohio exactly. State actually has been very willing to mess with it. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, I, and look, the thing about it is I think traditionalists, and, and in baseball there, traditional, traditionalists are, are numerous. I mean, it's, that's probably as the sport that is kind of most grounded in that um, are going to find it kind of weird and maybe a little offensive in, in some ways. But I, you know, the thing about it is, you know, you heard him say it. You know, I ask these kids if they'd be interested in playing on blue turf, and it's just about unanimous that they say yes. So that that's the thing is that you know, say what you will about it and feel how you feel about it, but that stuff that stuff works. Like honestly, that that stuff really works, and they wouldn't be doing it. Because it's not going to be easier to do the blue turf. Now, they, they clearly have a blue turf guy at Boise State. <laughs> like, they're not having to find a vendor to put blue turf in. They've got, they've got somebody. But, I mean, it's certainly not going to be easier to do that. I mean, you, you heard him talk about, now i got to match the dirt color to it. I mean, so it would just be easier to throw green turf down there and just, you know, dirt-colored turf like you see all across the country now. So they're doing it for a reason. And the reason is that this stuff works with 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. When that happens, I will be very curious to see who the next program will be that goes with the colored turf and what color that will be because someone else will do it. It's no one else, no one else in college football has gotten the buzz that Boise has in large part because their football programs aren't as good. But there's gray turf at Eastern Michigan, there's red turf at Eastern Washington, and Joe, you showed me purple and I think it's purple and gray stripes at Central Arkansas. If you made me guess, that's where I'm Central (laughs) Arkansas is where I'm where I would go. You know, doing make a, it would have to be gray. I don't know that you could do like a purple field. Like that seems You could too do purple dark. dirt. You could do purple dirt in a gray, gray, quote, grass. So yeah, that, that would be my guess. I'd go Central Arkansas if you're making me pick. Because they've, they've done it on the football side. Um, and I think that obviously Eastern Washington doesn't, doesn't play Division One baseball. So they're out if you want to pick from among the ones that. And I just think Central Arkansas, you know, being a little more advanced program than where Eastern Michigan is in terms of geographic location things like that i don't i don't i'm not going to claim to know the intimate details of the support they get but <laughs> that's just going to be my guess on that that so i guess the bears of central arkansas would be my pick it'll be interesting i i have no idea who it's going to be it 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 will happen though and i'll probably not be thrilled about it um, I mean, it's probably somebody we're not, like, we're going to the obvious oh, ones yeah, of the yeah, football yeah. examples. It'll be somebody else. Like, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, we have no way of knowing, though. But somebody, you're right, somebody is going to do it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's going to be interesting to watch out west. With, with Akron, Chris Sabo, you heard him say that he's had success everywhere he's gone, and he's right. He has. He's very much the consummate winner. Akron, though, as, also, as, as he also noted, has not been. And so they're walking into 
a rather competitive conference. Obviously, Kent State has been the class. They're the team that went to Omaha within the last decade. We've talked about how we think Central Michigan is going to be good this year on this podcast before. Ball State's not going anywhere. We know what kind of uh, developmental pipeline they've had in terms of players. Uh, Ohio is is very um, you know consistent in terms of competitiveness in that league. So you're walking into that, and, and so that's that's gonna be tough for Akron and, and just breaking through in a conference with so many legitimate contenders is not going to be easy, but it also isn't impossible to do. You know, all, all of the places I mentioned have good infrastructure in place, as does Miami, which has been pretty solid, but not had the breakthroughs that these other schools have had in, in the last decade or so. But if you rewind it back to when Tracy Smith was there, they were rolling re- really well and the stadium's outstanding. Like they have the pieces in place if things just fall into place a little further. So Akron is in a tough spot, but Joe, do you believe that, that Sabo can do what he, what he wants to do and get them to you know, this, this consistent winning formula? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on your definition, right? Oh, and as a quick aside, uh, Teddy is right that the stadium at, at Miami in Oxford, Ohio, picturesque, fantastic. I highly recommend it. I was there a couple of years ago and, and really enjoyed my time there. Parking a little bit tough. Parking is a little tough, but uh, the stadium I itself. Mean, Oxford in general. Yeah, the, the stadium itself was absolutely fantastic. I loved my, my time there. So, um, But yeah, I think it kind of depends on, you know, he, he talks a lot about getting back to the MAC tournament. And if that is kind of the first big you know, a target, I think that's achievable, uh, maybe not in year one, um, but, you know, soon thereafter, just because, to your point, I mean, there is, you know, maybe four teams at the top in, in Central, Ball State, Kent State, and, and, and Miami that have kind of consistently been in that that range, and Ohio has has their moments too, like you mentioned, but, you know, five to ten in the MAC tends to be relatively fluid. Yes. And so it's not as if, you know, it's really tough, for example, you know, it's it's really tough in the Big Ten. We've talked about this ad nauseum, just to compare, you know, as close to apples to apples as you can get in the Midwest in terms of an avatar goes. The Big Ten is really tough to break into that top eight because there is there is kind of a system there where there's a, a subsection of schools that are, or subset of schools that are, are just going to be there year after year. So you've got six or seven teams fighting for two spots, and that's just a tough thing to do. A, the MAC takes six teams out of a 10-team league, so that's helpful. But beyond that, there's really a lot of variability from year to year in who's finishing in spots five to 10. So if you're, if you're talking, let's, let's get back to the MAC tournament and let's go from there, I think that's perfectly achievable. Now, beyond that, I think it's a tough time, to your point, to be getting into the MAC right now because it, it does feel like for so long it was Kent State and you know, it was Kent State and then everyone else, largely. There were competitive teams, but, you know, Kent State was running that conference. And so maybe you felt a little more confident and then, you know, I can finish second or third in the league maybe. But now, I mean, Central Michigan is going to be good again. Kent State's not going anywhere. I mean, I'm at this point just rehashing what you said. But so I just think it's a tough time to be wanting to compete at a higher level than just finishing top six in the MAC. We've seen Eastern Michigan, when Jake Boss was there, pop up. We've seen Western Michigan pop up at various times. Sometimes it can just be a matter of, can you get an ace? Like, can you get a real honest-to-God ace? And then that's enough to be competitive in the MAC. And so then it just becomes a question of, can Akron find one of those? And the reality is they're going to have to develop an ace. 
like you're going to get a good player, yes, but you're going to have to make him better because that's just how this works. Like Friday night starters, unless you're Kent State, generally don't come in as freshmen. And, um, you know, even, even Eric Lauer, you know, as a freshman wasn't ready for that. But you knew when Eric Lauer got to Kent State that he was going to be a dude. Uh, but almost no one else in the league can do that. Ball State can to an extent, but there's no one else. And, and so Akron's going to have to find a way to develop their own Keegan Aiken, which is how Western Michigan got to the tournament the last time. They got Keegan Aiken, they figured out how to get Keegan Aiken better, and then they rode him all the way to a regional, somewhat literally. So that, that's Akron's path. It can be done. We've seen, we've seen some examples of it. It'll be interesting to, to see how long it takes that to, to play out at Akron and, and you know, what, what path they take to get there. Uh, but I'm glad to have Akron back as a Mac alum. You know, it was, it was getting dicey for a minute. <laughs> you know, Buffalo and Akron cut their programs in back-to-back years, and there were whispers about various other potential cuts and then what was going to happen. And um, Akron coming back to the conference is very good. I wish Buffalo would come back. To have this happen, to have this happen for Northeast Ohio uh, is, is good because as a Cleveland baseball evangelist, like there's, there's talent there. I mean, it's not the best in the world, but you know, there's talent to be had in that city and uh, Akron is in a position to, to be able to capitalize on some of that because Kent State is looking wider. They're casting a wider net. Akron hopefully can be there to to find some of those gems that that just need some additional polishing. So I'm glad to have Akron back, and I'm also very glad to have Zippy back. Zippy is instantly, once we get Akron back on the field, Zippy's a top-five mascot. The the kangaroo is awesome. Oh, 100%. I agree with you there. And I I think this is kind of a a good point to, 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 uh, to, to leave you with, is that uh, to Teddy's point, it is nice to have Akron back. It's nice to have Boise State coming back in because there was a period of time not so long ago where I don't want to say it felt apocalyptic, but it did feel like, I mean, don't forget, I mean, with, with Akron cutting the program in, I believe it was 2015, we weren't that far removed from Cal almost dropping their program. And so it kind of felt like, okay, maybe we dodged a bullet with Cal, a legitimately good program with history. We dodged that a little bit. But maybe that was showing some strains in college baseball that that's the direction it was heading. And with programs like Buffalo and Akron dropping, it kind of felt like maybe that's the direction we were headed. Now, we have a couple restarting, but we are, I mean, in a, in a different note, Division One is growing. And so we are going to get above 300 teams again here pretty shortly. We've got, you know, in addition to these two, we've got Merrimack coming in this year. We've got a few more on deck for the coming year. So it is kind of nice to see whether by hook or by crook, by Division One growing or by teams coming back, it is kind of nice to have it moving in this direction again. Absolutely. And I mean, hopefully some other places take longer looks at, at what it would take. Uh, I mean, I've been looking right at you, Wisconsin. If it can be done at these places, it can be done at more, more, uh, more colleges. And it's just a matter of people having the desire to go out and make it happen. And you know, Boise added baseball while cutting other sports. So in some respects, that that's not great. You know, baseball knows that pain. But Akron did this without cutting sports. Um, you know, they cut baseball and they found a way to, to add it back. They brought women's lacrosse in at the same time. And, 
you know, that's a Mac athletic department, just flat out adding two sports. So if they can do it, major schools can do this and other mid-major schools can do this. So hopefully these two schools can find success and that that can, you know, aid the efforts of, of other places that are looking to restart their, their dormant programs, no matter how long it's been, whether it's been, been five years or, or 50 years, uh, you, it can be brought back. And that's what these two schools, that's what Oregon showed. That's, that's what we're seeing with, with, with Boise and with Akron. Again, I want to reiterate that store.baseballamerica.com has some fun holiday gift ideas for you. You can check out all of the content over at baseballamerica.com while you're at it. Ben Badler's international reviews are up for the uh, July signing period. He's got team-by-team uh, team looks at, at who... I mean, it starts in July, but the, the signing period continues. So he's got team-by-team team looks at, at who everyone in the big leagues has signed this calendar year. Uh, we have the top tens for, for the top the top tens for prospects for every big league team. Those are rolling on. We're in the central. The west will be coming soon. And if you happen to be a fan of the team in the east, your your top ten is already online. So I encourage you to check all of that out. You can follow me on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we are very excited just to uh, be able to continue to, to bring you the, the podcast through December. And I'm excited that, that Joe is here in the office to, to help do so with all of that. We will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast next week. We have Navy coach Paul Costacopoulos lined up. Uh, we are excited for that one. Uh, so make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast, whatever your favorite podcasting app is, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, you name it, it's there. And if you can, while you're subscribing, leave a rating, leave a review. We're always happy to, to hear from you, and those things help other people to find the podcast as well. So we greatly appreciate everyone who takes the time to do that. Like I said, we'll be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I want to thank Joe. I want to thank Boise State coach Gary Vantal and Akron coach Chris Sabo, and most especially you for listening.